Hey, babe. This is your girlfriend, Kevy. How are you? Welcome to my podcast, Barely About Music. I know it's a little bit different this week because I'm trying a new format. And the reason for that is I was going to have a guest this week. I was going to have the great Steve Bays, the great frontman songwriter of Hot Hot Heat, uh, Mounties, Fur Trade, all around cool guy. He directed my band Fake Sharks video for Cheap Thrills. So talented. Uh, and we were in the studio with him for three days writing a new Fake Shark song. <clears throat> and we were going to record a podcast. Uh, but uh, instead, I did mushrooms, and uh, instead of recording the podcast, I flicked Christmas lights on for like six, seven hours. Um, yeah, so my fault. My fault. My bad. <laughs> we were going to do a podcast, but instead I uh, chose to do somersaults in grass, so didn't do it, and that is my fault. I thought this week I'd do something a little different. Um, I thought I'd maybe tell some stories about concerts I've been to, because uh when I was a teenager and stuff, uh, that's all I cared about. And um, some silly things happened to me. <clears throat> so I thought I'd do that. Um, first, I want to talk about, uh, man, how good is that Backstreet Boys documentary on Netflix? Like, no irony. It's just so good. Like, I like it the same way. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary on Metallica, some kind of monster. But... I went into that being kind of lukewarm about Metallica. Like, I don't like things that everyone tells me I have to like. So growing up being kind of a metalhead, everyone told me I had to like Metallica all the time. And and, and so I didn't want to, like, give it a, sh- a shot. But then I saw Some Kind of Monster, which is a documentary on them making this album, St. Anger, which is, like, critically panned and everyone makes fun of it all the time. And dude... It was it was like a Mr. Show sketch. Like it was so fucking funny and ridiculous that I became a huge specifically Megadeth fan from watching it. Like just just the excess of of just decades of success and being the shit just made them completely lose their edge. Like Metallica in the early days when they all moved to San Francisco and Dave Mustaine from Megadeth was in the band, they were like scary, you know? And you know what I mean? Like they were like, like everyone was afraid of them. Their stories about sort of like their sexual escapades and the way they were living were just gross. And, and, uh, it was really funny. And then black album came out and it's a great album. I love that album, but it's skyrocket. They, they become the biggest band in the world. And it's cool because any other musical trends that would happen, they wouldn't be affected by. It's like glam rock was big, you know, like hair metal. And they were cooler than that. So it's like, you know, this trend is happening over here. Michael Jackson's big over here. And then it it's, has nothing to do with Metallica. And they're just kind of like alongside as big but doing their own thing. So, so you know, decades of that just makes a person self unaware, I guess. And so in some kind of monster, like the drummer that shows him like showing his art collection, like it's just so, so unpunk rock, like, and his, his dad is like this old Norwegian tennis player and he's so weird and he's telling them their music is garbage. And so he's, he's like more self-aware and aware of things than they are. And then they're, they have a, a therapist on the, on the payroll and he's insisting he's obviously just looking out for himself so he's insisting that he goes on tour with them and stuff and they had, their bass player Jason Newstead like left so 
Bob Rock, who's a great producer, he's like playing bass on the album now. And uh, none of them want to be there. It's so funny, dude. And the funniest fucking part is Dave Mustaine from Megadeth, which is my all-time favorite thrash band. He, they have a therapy session with him, and and it's the first time they've talked since they kicked him out. And he goes, he's like, "Do you think I like being second best?" And right there, that is for me, that is the funniest. Like. Second best is still sick, especially in that genre. And him complaining about that and just the way he said it, I love it. For me, that is the greatest. Just, I love pettiness, dude. It's so funny to me. And just the therapist trying to, like, make himself a... Me- I think at one point he, he says he's a, he's a member of Metallica. Like, dude, you, you have a PhD. You're not in Metallica. You have a PhD. You can't be in Metallica and have glasses. You know? You can't you can't be in the greatest thrash band of all time and look like Gene Siskel. You know? You can't do it. And so I, I love that. But the Backstreet Boys documentary is so good, dude. It's heartwarming. Listen, when Backstreet Boys were big, I was a little kid and I thought it was terrible because all I listened to was like Wu-Tang and Tupac and stuff and I I remember my first girlfriend when I was like 13 she was like <clears throat> she was like listening to Hanson and I remember being like you know you're fucking serious are you like I couldn't fathom actually liking something like that which is ironic because I have done a lot of pop music similar to that in fact, Carly Rae Jepsen, first big tour, opening for Hanson. Irony. But yeah, dude, the Backstreet Boys documentary, there's this part where, like, first of all, the the one dude, the guy I like the best, I think his name's Kevin, um, he's like fucking 10 years older than the youngest guy. And so the, the early photos of them are so funny because it's like, like, he looks like he's babysitting uh, an eight-year-old you know and he's he's dressed like a genie or some shit because he worked at disneyland and then the other guy's in like third grade and that for me is very funny but there's this part where it shows them now and because they're, they're it's like the whole documentary is predicated upon showing the past and then they're doing a new album and they're self-funding it and they're talking to this the like southern guy i think his name is brian and he's like, he like he can't he got, he has vocal notes or something, so he can't hit the notes the way he used to. And so he's like, you know, it's just we're, we're gonna have to handle this as a team. We're gonna have to get in there. We just, you know, it's it's not my problem; it's our problem. And so we're gonna have to go ahead and just band together and become one. And and fucking, it's not just my problem; it's our problem. So everyone's like, yeah, totally, Brian. We got we got your back, bro. And then and then fucking Nick Carter who's hilarious like by accident hilarious which is my favorite he's just looking so mad he's not saying shit everyone's supportive except him and then it keeps cutting to him looking unimpressed like the tattoo I have on the inside of my lip is like that emoji that's the unimpressed emoji like he was doing the same face that Ryan Gosling does in like his last six movies like that smirk 
as if to say, yeah, I like to read poetry and I'll fuck your girl. Like probably at the same time and probably right in front of you. And then you'll want to be my friend after. That's the face he was doing. And then Brian goes, well, it seems like I think I've heard every from everybody except Nick. Nick, what do you have to say? Right. And so everyone's been really supportive. And then and then Nick goes, uh, yeah, man, that sounds great. Uh, everyone support you and your problem. Uh, I just can't help but remember when I had a cocaine addiction, I was left to do it by myself. And I fucking laughed so hard because that is so petty. I love that. So petty. I <laughs> he was indignant. I love that. That is so funny. But yeah, that documentary for real is good. But it made me realize how many fucking bangers Backstreet Boys had uh, that I secretly probably liked. But on that side, I was like, I was like doing the Wu Tang W hands sign, you know, just so insecure. I was like quoting Tupac. I remember my mom one time when I was away for a weekend, she went into my room and listened to my CDs and when I came back she was making fun of the lyrics in a Tupac song and she was fucking howling laughing at, at the words and the the lyrics were like every other city we go every other video no matter where I go I see the same hole and my mom thought that was so good and I was like shut up mom it was offend- offensive to me because I took myself very seriously and my Tupac album and uh, hurt my feelings kind of and it made me embarrassed. It's funny how, how like embarrassed you were. Like <laughs> it's funny how it's like like I remember sixth grade like not wanting to admit that I found uh, girls attractive at all. You know? And then like two years later I have a girlfriend and it, so I don't know what happened. Actually I do know what happened. That girl that girl pursued me um, and to the point that she was just one day she's just like, yeah, I'm your girlfriend. Um, I was like, oh, and then I remember I dude, I remember being embarrassed that I had a girlfriend to tell my mom. <laughs> That's funny. She's like, yeah, I'm your girlfriend now. And she had a twin sister. And uh, people were like, how do you how do you tell them apart? And I was like, I can't. This is a big point of contention in our relationship. Man, we just got back from... Dude, it's been a crazy couple of weeks because I was busy at Just for Laughs, the the comedy festival. I went to a bunch of things and then there were people in town I wanted to see and just kind of... It's weird like being kind of like doing industry stuff because it sounds fun, but it's uh, it's it can be tiring. Like there's so many parties and like I hate parties, dude. I don't want to go to parties ever, but I, I really want people to know I appreciate the help, you know, like Sirius XM is so good to my band and the, the uh, comedy albums that I do that I wanted to go and just say thank you. And, uh, and so I did and it ended up being fun. Like once you're there, it's fun, but it's so hard to get me out of my recording studio. Um, but so there was just for laughs and then that went right into Juno's. Oh, and congratulations to f- my boy. Barely about music alumni Ivan Decker for winning best comedy album the first time it's been a category in the Junos since like the 70s or something so congratulations to him and he's he's kindly enough to to get me a Juno too because I produced it so holy cow man congratulations Ivan Decker 
listen to that that album it's really good it's called i wanted to be a dinosaur he went on conan uh promoting it and he let your little sweet baby tag along also and uh and then we were backstage and rain rain wilson from the office told us uh it's funny that we're canadian he kind of kind of roasted us which i liked so yeah then juno's and then uh so so that album i i produced for ivan one so i get a fucking juno statue so cool and um and then uh we went to the televised event dude man jesse reyes is so good she's sick i was like almost crying like just her facial expressions i just believed her you know and uh, i loved that and she was great and i've been listening to her a lot ever since and then my friend sean hook was great it's cool he's kind of like a late addition to to the show and so i was stoked for him and he did a great job and it's cool it's his hometown um but he lives in LA now, so it's cool for him to come back and do that show. And uh, yeah, and then we, oh, and then I went to Victoria to produce uh, this great comic, Mace Galoni's album. He's so funny. You should check him out. It was fun because it was me and him and Sophie Buttle, who she was the first guest ever on on this podcast, and um, and and her mom also. And so I got some good, nice, some nice uh, FaceTime in with Sophie's mom while I sat awkwardly in my hotel room and and edited music and comedy because it's all I do oh dude and I'm reading this this book it's so good I'm so addicted to it it is the size of a dictionary but it's about the early 2000s basically from 2001 to 2011's New York rock music scene so it's like the strokes and TV on the radio and the yeah yeah yeahs and stuff so interesting once again love pettiness and this book is choked with pettiness there's this band called Fisher Spooner and dude, they're hilarious because they, it's like it was a, the whole music project was an exercise in me, mediocrity. And that is hilarious. Like I think they invented Normcore. Like I remember there's a part in it where they're talking about how they didn't look schlubby enough. So they were trying to gain weight. That's great. And then also their live shows were just them like pressing play on a cassette and and they'd stop the show they'd stop the cassette a bunch of times just to remind the crowd that it is indeed a cassette and to not be impressed by it (laughs) it's great oh man and they were like the first band of their scene to get like a multi-million dollar deal and everyone was like what the fuck you know, like they lapped the strokes <laughs> and got signed first and they had like a good song. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, I love that. It's so good, though. And there's like interviews with everyone that you'd want to hear from in that scene. You know, Jack White's in it, Mark Marin. Very good. I recommend it. So, yeah, man, um, I want to say the first concert I ever went to it was so so interesting man because I loved music so much but I uh I just didn't think it was in the realm of possibility for me to actually go to something you know and I went when I was pretty young and my first concert was actually a warp tour and um I was really excited to see the band Suicidal Tendencies they're like a punk band they're like a skate punk band and um I found out years later they were like they're kind of like a gang like they had gang affiliations but all their songs were like about skateboarding and uh and they dressed they're like uh, Mexican guys and they they dress like that and I would dress like that to look like them and shit um, you know where you have a flannel shirt and you just um, do up the top button I did that 
and when you have baggy pants that stop right before your shoes, I did that shit. I actually still think that looks dope. Like Johnny Knoxville in the Jackass years, I think dressed so cool. Like he'd wear Chuck Taylors and then he'd have like Dickies or something, but they'd stop right at the top of his shoes. That's a good look, I think. Um, so I went to that um, and I was I was unaware of a lot of the other bands, although Body Count played, which was Ice T's band, and I fucking met him when I was like a little kid, and he and I remember I, I was like, pretty young, like, like awkward, like, <laughs> like big teeth, big ass teeth, um, um, bleached hair, like I kind of looked like, was trying to I guess kind of look like Chino from Deftones where. He had bleached his hair and then just like let the roots grow out, grow out. And then he just, it looked like he put his finger into an electrical socket and that was his hairstyle. You know, that was what I looked like. Um, so cool. And I remember even though I was like a little kid, I bumped into Ice-T and I was way fucking taller than him. And I remember being disappointed about that. But he was like, what's up, cousin? Gave me like, that was a pretty good Ice-T impression I just did there, by the way. And he was like, what's up, cousin? And gave me uh, the bro handshake, you know, where you you hit hands and then and hold each other's hands and then also a hug. And so that was good for me. And then the craziest thing about that show, um, was Eminem was, was on it, but he, he didn't have a single out. So no one knew who he was, but he had replaced Cypress Hill like last second. And so he went on kind of late in the day, but no one really knew who he was. And uh, proof rest in peace was his like hype man and I remember he had a big inflatable mummy on stage because he was he was promoting um the Slim Shady LP which I love it's like it's like in my top 10 albums ever but it wasn't out yet I don't think no one fucking knew who he was and so dude he got booed he got he got hit with lemon slices because they're handing out these drinks these uh, cups of water that had a, like a slice of lemon in, in them and people were taking the lemon slices and fucking hitting, hitting them in the head with them and stuff. And I remember proof got hit in the face, obviously got citric acid in his eyes and hurt his eyes and his feelings. And Eminem was like, I remember he went Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver. And everyone was like, boo. And then uh, the punk band Pennywise was on after him. So they were like, Pennywise, Pennywise. And he was like, fuck you guys. I'm never coming back. And he didn't for a long time. And then I remember he was supposed to come back. And the tour, it was called the Anger Management Tour. And I remember he was like dressing like Jason, um, the horror movie figure. Not Jason, my friend from Surrey. Different guy. And he... And Limp Biscuit was the head, the co-headliner, and then Exhibit and Papa Roach were opening. So two thousands, that wouldn't happen now. And um, they canceled. And I remember there was a really tame riot at Rogers Arena, and uh, they didn't show up. So Eminem didn't come back to Vancouver for a long time. Although I think he was on the Up and Smoke tour, which was basically NWA. Um, but instead of Easy E, because rest in peace, they had Eminem, and I think I think maybe he came to town on that. But when that happened, I was into old school punk rock and pretended I didn't like any other music. I always did that and be like, oh, I'm into metal now, okay, so I don't like rap at all. And then I get it out of metal into old school punk, and I'm like, yeah, I don't like metal anymore. But secretly, I liked it, and secretly, I like Backstreet Boys too. Um, yeah, 
I remember the music, the album that I heard that like made me feel like I could actually like pop music was Whoa Nelly by Nelly Furtado. So good, dude. I just met her. I think it's her cousin. His name's Oscar Furtado. He does radio for like he did. He did. Um, he pushed a fake shark song at radio. And so I met him at the Juno's weekend thing at this Sony party because um, I'm doing some stuff with Sony now. And I I was like, I don't know if this is weird for you, but I love Whoa Nelly. And he was like, yeah, people say that to me all the time. And so <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if that's annoying for him. Maybe it is. But dude, Whoa Nelly is such a good album. Yeah. So pretty crazy week. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. I used to go to concerts all the time and fucking lose my shoe. Like one shoe. Like I remember. I was a teenager and I went to see Slayer with uh, Soulfly opening and this band called In Flames that I like. A lot of the best thrash metal is from Sweden. I don't know if you know that, but they have music schools there. They'll like pay you to go to school. And so a lot of people go to music school and become like these really technical musicians. And so a lot of the coolest metal riffs come from Sweden. And so I went to that and I was in the very front and, um, and I was getting my ass whooped. You know, I was a skinny little bonehead and um and it got to the point where i i couldn't take it anymore i was i was always every time i went to a concert i'd be in the very front against the fence and sometimes that went not good for me like i remember i was at a deftones concert and the fucking fence fell over and everyone fell on me and, and my sternum still clicks from that maybe i should get that checked out um so yeah i was in the front for slayer and i was getting my ass kicked so bad that i tried to climb out and i just felt my shoe fly on stage and I never got it back, and so I had to take three buses back to Langley, where I was from, with one shoe. And everyone on every bus and Skytrain made fun of me. And I deserved it. So that was a good one. I, uh, yeah, I liked, I'd go to, like, everything, um, you know. And now, now I go, now I don't go to anything unless it's free. <laughs> so privileged. Um. Yeah, and uh, I remember I got a fake ID because I wanted to see uh, Mindless Self-Indulgence really bad, and they were playing at this venue called Richards on Richards, which, dude, was such a cool venue. Like, Lady Gaga, when she was doing her, when her first album came out, um, she was opening for uh, New Kids on the Block, and she opened for them and then ran over to Richards on Richards, which is kind of a small venue, and did her album release party for that album in Vancouver at Richards on Richards. And and Fake Shark Real Zombie, the old version of my band, we got to play there once with this sweet uh, British band called Claxons. And then they tore it down, and now it's fucking con- condos or something. Um, yeah, because that venue was too cool. So obviously Vancouver's going to tear it down and put up some bullshit uh, apartment that no one can afford. Um, man, so topical. Yeah. Um, oh, also the, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was just talking about it. Um, the hardest I've ever laughed is at this stand-up comedian named Theo Vaughn. Dude, I'm so obsessed with him. He's such a unique thinker. It's interesting because his stand-up is such satire because he's from New Orleans. He's a white guy from New Orleans, but he, he, he sounds ignorant, but actually he's such a great storyteller like he there's a show called this is not happening it used to be hosted by the great Ari Shafir and now it's hosted by someone else but just 
look up Theo Vaughn on This Is Not Happening. It's a 20-minute clip, him talking about um, doing a bunch of cocaine with this cab driver. and so funny, dude. He's such a funny storyteller. He has, like, his own vernacular, and uh, he's he's just so witty, I can't believe it, you know? Um, just his word choices, and he's just such got such an interesting perspective that it's just really inspiring to me. So I would recommend checking that out. Um, also, what is with these new Diet Coke commercials? Have you guys seen them? Like, I haven't had, I don't have cable, I don't want it, but I spent the weekend in a hotel and I just had the movie channel on while I was working. And these new Coke commercials is, is, are weird. It's like fucking Britta from Community. I forget her name. She's the girl from Love also. Um, she's a good actor. But it's her walking down a street that I think is in California, somewhere hip. And it's like so multicultural. Like if you look in the background, there's one of each race ever in the background. Just, you know, just to keep it safe. Coke's not interested in upsetting anybody besides also having the same name as a uh, drug that kills people because it has fentanyl in it. But aside from that, she's walking down the street and she looks so confident and so hip. And she's talking about Diet Coke and about how she likes it. And then she stops mid street to like pound it, pound a can of Diet Coke. And then she goes, drink Diet Coke or don't, whatever. Like, I have an opinion. I, I, it's not her. It's Coca-Cola trying to be as unoffensive as possible. Like, oh, we don't want to. I just pictured the board meeting like, okay, we don't want to be too pushy about our advertising here, okay? So, so like, maybe if we just suggest it and, like, hint at it, maybe subconsciously people will feel like, well, they don't even care if, if I drink it, so I'm going to drink it because it's, like, reverse psychology. I hate that. I, I think it would be cooler if they were like, God, oh, Diet Coke, stick it in your face, hole, you fucking idiot. I think that would be a much... Dude, that actually just saying that made me want to drink Diet Coke. Like it already worked, you know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I'm just spitballing it already. I should be a a commercial executive for some company, probably Walmart or something, you know, something that they don't really need my help, but that it can be like my training wheels, so I can just try it and they can see if it works, and then they can move me on onto some projects that do need it, you know, like Silly Putty. Like, what's happening with Silly Putty? Like, no one even knows about it now, but it was successful at one point, so put your boy on it, you know? I'll, I'll get it back above water, because right now it's below sea level. No one really knows about it. It has no optics, you know? So I think I think that's an obvious thing to do. Just just get me on your project, you know? Really aggressive marketing is my thing. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm the CEO of Silly Putty now, the advertising department, I think the best thing to do is just get an egg of Silly Putty because it comes in a red egg, I remember. Just tie it to a brick and throw it in some fucking idiot's window. And then they're going to pay attention, obviously. And then with all the money you make, all the revenue you make from the new sales, that can cover my prison sentence. I think it's very obvious what to do here. I'm waiting on your call, Silly Putty. Also, my grandmother got me Silly Putty when I was a little kid, when I was like four or five or something, and she took me to a movie and I lost it and we were leaving the movie theater, which I believe was Snow White. And uh, I, I realized I didn't have it anymore. And so we went back in the theater and saw the guy who worked at the movie theater peeling it off the carpet because I stuck it all over the chair and carpets because I'm a bad 
bad kid. I'm a good boy now. I'm a good boy now. I was a bad, bad kid back in the day. Good kid, Mad City. Sorry, I have sniffles. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have... Hey, there's lots of... Lots of stuff coming out, man. Uh, Fake Shark, my band. We are playing CMW. We're playing the Rivoli on May 11th. It's gonna be cool. It's a good ass venue. We're gonna go there. We're gonna do some uh, do some music with my friend Joel from the band Dragonette. Very excited about that. Uh, that's gonna be good. This singer Lay, who is my friend, she's she and I did a song with Joel also from Dragonette, and that's coming out soon. Very excited about it. Uh, it's coming out on uh, May. Or sorry, April thirteenth. My band song "Wake Up," our new one. We did a video for it, and the song's coming out April twenty seventh. So it's, it's a good ass month, man. It's also my birthday month. Don't say that. Hate when people say that. My birthday's in this month, but I don't get thirty days to celebrate it. In fact, knowing me, probably won't celebrate it at all because I don't celebrate anything because I'm a non-participant, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah, but I was, it was cool to get to hang out with Steve this week. He's got certified good boy status as far as I'm concerned. He's a good guy, you know. We are so ready for these shows coming up. We played a couple shows last week. Thank you for coming out to our Juno Fest show. That was fun. Um, we're very ready to play a bunch of new stuff at CMW. We are primed. We are ready. We are pretty. We're Chelsea Peretti. We're very excited. We're ready to do it. Um, I'm working on so much new music. I'm just so excited about it. It's all I care about doing right now. That's why it's so hard to get me out to a party, you know? But yeah. I thought it would be cool if this week, my friend Kirby, he's one of my best friends. He's from Australia, and he has his own vintage clothing company, and it's so good, dude. Like, you'll notice my band is always, like, our outfits are always tricked out, and it's because of him. Like, his vintage picking is crazy. I always have such good t-shirts. Um, vintage t-shirts which I collect now because of being friends with him um, and it's because of Kirby and so he let us borrow like 10 grand worth of uh, vintage clothing for our new video and then of course we ended up buying a lot of it ourselves just because it was so cool like I got this starter writer's jacket I'm, I'm in love with because it looks like Ice Cube in 91 um, so anyway I th he and I he came over um, and I asked him a few questions about politeness because while he is Australian, somehow he's also very manners oriented. And he says that the reason that he and I are such good friends is because manners matter to us. We'll make super offensive jokes. He and I went and saw Anthony Jeselnik and Bill Burr two days in a row a couple weeks ago. But manners matter, man. Like, And he says that the reason that it matters to us and all our best friends is because all our best friends and us are very close with our moms. And that might be a good point. So there's this, there's your segue right there. Kirby Fisher from uh, Dead Union. Very funny guy. Very good storyteller. Here he is. Certified good boy, Kirby Fisher. Because you and I, when we, when we hang out, we we kind of talk about how people get what they deserve in certain ways if it's up to us. So so you run your own vintage store, and so you make the rules there, and people have to abide by them, and that's such a beautiful thing. Well, I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm always more shocked why more people don't adapt this into their, into their businesses because at the end of the day, 
Like, let's say, for example, you have a store and you sell cookies, mm-hmm. right? And then a guy comes in and he's like, hello, I'd like to buy some cookies. And you're like, well, fantastic, because you're in the cookie store. <laughs> <laughs> so you've made, you've, sir. you've made the right choice. And then he doesn't make any eye contact. Yeah. And then he taps on the glass. Mm-hmm. And then he's on the phone at the same time. Oh. And he taps on the glass and he like points to the chocolate chip. I can't stand right? him already. So what he's saying to you is like, I'll for sure take a chocolate chip and bag that shit up and I'll give you the money. Mm-hmm. Right? But what I say that is, is I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. And therefore, that chocolate chip price, which is three fifty, has to now quickly be changed to ten twenty. And he doesn't bat an eye when you say that because he's been such a dickhead for so long that that's probably been happening. And yeah. he's just—he'd rather be rude than. Well, the, yeah, exactly. Well, the thing with dickheads is that, generally speaking, dickheads—they—it's like—it's like when a guy has a car. My mum calls it champagne taste on a beer budget. <laughs> Right, so it's a guy that has a car. Like you, we all know that guy at the traffic lights, and and room room he's revving the engine. And you look over, and he has the most expensive car in the world. But for the most part, it's just all that means is that you have two or three loans that you cannot afford. You're living in Vancouver, so we know that you're struggling immensely. You have this car in order to gain pussy. It's not working. That's why you're <laughs> revving it at a fucking traffic light. Yeah. So it's that guy that then comes into my cookie store and wants. The three fifty cookie without making eye contact and demanding yeah. whilst talking. Like, fuck that guy. And Absolutely. so it's just I had years of working in retail mm-hmm. and in my head I was like, Well, this is my way of giving back. And so my approach was I'm just gonna have a store with no price tags. Yeah. And then if you're cool and by cool I don't mean James Dean pop a cool. I just mean like <laughs> Which you are. Well thank you very much. But I just mean like nice, just friendly and warm yeah. and that's it. That's all that's the only way to get a discount in in my store is just to be a nice person. And if you're the opposite of that, you will pay douche tax. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You. There's no, there's no like average tax. There's either you're a good guy tax or fuck you tax. So often good guy taxes, you get it for free. I and then know. you walk out and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I need to make some money. But then I just wait for a guy with a turtleneck that's fist bumping too much. And I'm like, well, the price went up. And that just makes up for the free thing I gave old mate who likes Star Trek. He's fist bumping or fist pumping? Uh, well, either or is a problem. Mm. Well, it depends. Like I, I just have a rule with fist bump. Like, mm-hmm. okay. The thing with the fist bump is I'm Australian, so it's not a thing back home at all, as it shouldn't be, because it's <laughs> just it it's it's just not part of our culture. Yeah. So you know, it's a stern handshake. You look at them in the eye and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But in fairness to the fist bump, hygienically speaking, exactly, it's much the much better option. Yeah, Harlan Williams does that. Oh, Even yeah. like he he just is a, he doesn't like the inside of people's hands. He talks about it, and so same with Howie Mandel. I think you'll find the inside of most things is disgusting. <laughs> Except the inside of your cookie store. That's true. That's true. But I like it, though, because one of the reasons we're such good friends is yeah. because we both there put place an importance on politeness. Yeah. How could you not? And loyalty. And so yeah. and so someone comes in and because I it's funny that you said the thing about eye contact because mm. I become so offended by people who won't look me in the eyes. Oh, yeah, man. It's a massive red flag. It's su- it's such an insecurity thing. And it's like they may be doing it to make you feel sort of disqualified socially. There's two ways, though, because there's there's the guy that can't read the room. Right. right? Um and sometimes that can kind of fall into social awkwardness. Yeah. And and that guy, I've got I've got way more time yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy that thinks he's better than anybody. Exactly. 
that's the guy that I'm like, nah, for sure yeah. the price just went up. And I won't forget it also. Oh, dude. It's Im- it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, you know, if you went to the outback of Australia and saw some of the Aboriginal rock carvings, is, the, is essentially what happens to my memory bank when somebody comes in <laughs> and treats me like, you know, I'm some retail person on in Beverly Hills and they have 4,000 Lamborghinis. Like, right. Fuck that person. Yeah. And I just feel like if more people adapted this i'm not saying to go as extreme as having no price tags but just the customer's always right yeah that saying that mm-hmm. classic cliche saying yeah you could not you could not grab a cluster of words that were more incorrect <laughs> the, the customer is fucking never right because he's a fucking customer he doesn't work there he knows nothing about the product he yeah. knows generally nothing at all yeah. so that that saying what that saying is basically saying is like we will take. We will do anything. We will suck your dick in order to get the money out of your pocket for the thing that right. we're trying to sell. But I believe that if you have a good product, it's easy to sell anyway. Then that way, you don't really need to be as desperate, and mm-hmm. you can kind of pick and choose who gets hooked up. And yeah. it's only based on just be cool, just be nice, just be yeah. like warm, just be like a nice person. Yeah, it, you know what? I was, I was just saying this. Maybe the m- the most unattractive quality in a person, if you're just meeting them, is desperation. Oh, special! Uh, absolutely, couldn't agree more. So if yeah. you go, if you go into the fucking Disney store and they're like, "Can I help you?" You're already like, "I, I wish I wasn't here." Yeah, but dude, I, I was, I was just saying to my wife the other day, I was like, "There's something about, like, I, I, abs- I know that they mean well, and I know that it is essentially good customer service. But when a waitress comes up to me and the food has been delivered and I'm so hungry because I'm at a bloody restaurant. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I'm there because I'm hungry. So I want to eat the food. Yeah. And then I eat the food and I've got the food in my mouth and she comes up, is everything okay? Bitch, I've got the food <laughs> in my mouth. I can't, can I give you a thumbs up? Like, yeah. I just, I just want to be left, left alone. Yeah. And it's so hard to kind of convey that without coming across as an asshole. So the only yeah. way to really do it is just be like, fuck it, I guess I'll just come across as an asshole because this you, cheese is amazing. You actually don't, though. You're one of my more polite friends. But I like that yeah. you're you're so opinionated because you... A lot of this shit just like circles in my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> what but actually you, comes as, oh my God, it's amazing, this lasagna. Oh my God, was it double fried? <laughs> yeah, like I don't... Yeah. Do you think that the reason you and I, like politeness is so important to us is because we're close to our moms. I was just about to say, I was, I was about to cut you off. It's one <laughs> word, moms. I talk about my mom every episode of the show. But I talk about my mom every day. <laughs> like, like I, I'm not even joking. That mm-hmm. That's where this comes from. Because yeah. my mom, and I've met your mom, and she's very similar. She's very just warm and open and Well, loving. she didn't crowd surf at my concert like your mom did. Uh, yeah, but she comes and she gets <laughs> fucking down. Right? <laughs> she does, yeah. So, ultimately, we're both really close to our moms. And, mm-hmm. and I, I mean... In fairness to, to a lot of people, mm-hmm. it, it's not even necessarily their fault. It's that all of a sudden, I'm talking to somebody, and I'm like, well, if you're not as bubbly and as warm as my mom, I assume you hate me, so for sure, fuck you. Yeah. But oh, it, yes, what I it's have really do. weird, like, especially especially if I meet, like, a girlfriend's, you know, back in the day, I'd meet, like, a girlfriend's mom or dad, and yeah. if they weren't like my mom, I'm like, oh, darling, do you want some free pumpkin yeah. soup? Take home some fucking leftovers, whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if they weren't that, yeah. then I'm like, oh, this bitch hates me. Yeah. She hates me. She yeah. wishes I was dead. She hopes I get melanomas. So that's <laughs> that's how that's how my stupid brain thinks. I'm like that too, man. Yeah, I'm like, weird. my trigger finger for being my fa- having my feelings hurt is so itchy. Yeah. No, mom, I mean, like, from an outsider looking in, they'd be like, oh, man, your mom's the best. I'm like, is she though? I kind of think she's fucked me up for the rest <laughs> of my life. She's <laughs> been too good. <laughs> yeah. You got spoiled. But it all does come back to the mums and that's where the politeness comes from me too and i grew up in a house full of women so yeah. it was like my grandma yeah. my my mom my sister mm-hmm. and my mom's 
best friends that would come in and out. And so I, I just got used to like that level. There was so much female energy, which yeah. at times was fucking too much. That's, that's when you get the hell out of Dodge. But it was also really great and kind of gave me this, uh, I don't know, by no means that there's no like there's no Mel Gibson I know what women want thing about my brain because I for sure have no idea. But just the just the uh, hating Jewish people part of Mel Gibson's brain that you have. Yeah, yeah, that, I have that part. Like I, I, I and, and I the Baywatch part where I will sit down like drooling into my yeah, <laughs> like that, those things burger. are there. Those things and are there. the Braveheart part. You are wearing blue face makeup that's right true, now. That's true because it's the only way I can get a free ride with little. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I just got a text that said, uh, Yas Queen. Look, just because something becomes popular on the internet doesn't mean you have to say it, okay? Be more independent in your thought process. You know, it's not like someone's going to be like, you know, I'd love to hang out with Dave, but he just doesn't participate in meme culture enough. I have never heard him say something's lit, so I'm afraid that he's just not current enough to be my friend. Anyway, solo episode mostly, and then a little segment of uh, Kirby's Corner at the end there. I want to have him on more often, because he's the perfect venting partner, and he's funny, and I just think people should know about him. Also, check him out on Instagram, Dead Union. His vintage is the best in Vancouver. Uh, and also his band, War Baby, they're like my favorite Vancouver band. They're so good. So that was, uh, that was them at the beginning of the episode. Uh, anyway... Check us out, uh, Fake Shark at the Rivoli in Toronto on May 11th. Our new single, Wake Up, April 27th. You can request it at radio. Yeah, that's all the plugs, man. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time, sweet babies. Bye. Bye.